Amen. Let's begin with prayer. Lord God, we thank you for uh, condescending towards us by your grace. You who are a holy God above all, uh, pure and righteous, and yet have had mercy upon us. We pray that you would uh, teach us at this time to instruct us to see the great goodness that you have shown to us who are not deserving of your mercy. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we're looking at chapter 6 of the Westminster Confession of Faith, and that can be found in the back of the hymnal, in the back of the blue hymnal, although I didn't look at what page that is yet, so let me find it. 852. Yep. The chapter is called, Of the Fall of Man, of Sin, and of the Punishment Thereof. Rather somber topic, but certainly one that is important for understanding who we are, the way the world is, why we need the gospel. Um, So it's a foundational truth, even though that's probably not the title that gets you really excited uh, to, to think about the fall of man, sin, and the punishment thereof. Let me go ahead and begin by reading the first paragraph, uh, paragraph one of chapter six. Our first parents, being seduced by the subtlety and temptation of Satan, sinned in eating the forbidden fruit. This their sin, God was pleased, according to his wise and holy counsel, to permit, having purpose to order it to his own glory. So what was the sin by which our parents fell from their first estate? They're eating the forbidden fruit. Uh, What was the forbidden fruit? Was it the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? The the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Yeah, where in the Bible is that recounted? Where in the Bible do we... Genesis, yes? Three. Three. Genesis 3 recounts the fall of man. The first two chapters, everything is great. Everything is good. Uh, God makes everything very good. But then chapter 3 begins ominously with this serpent uh, who's you know, revealed in time to be uh, Satan himself who deceives Eve. Um, and then Eve talks to her husband Adam and he listens to her and also eats. And uh, in Genesis 3, that's pointed to be the, uh, pointed at as the sin. Uh, because you have done this and listened to your wife and eaten of this fruit, therefore, you know, you are, are cursed. Um, we might want to think about, well, were there maybe things before that they did wrong? Well, Scripture points us to that act itself uh, of eating the forbidden fruit as the sin, the first sin. But not only did they sin, and they sinned out of their own free will, they did so because they wanted to, which is uh, somewhat of a mystery because they were created righteous, what was in them to want to disobey God. But really, sin is foolish. Sin is, in some ways, irrational. It's, uh, it doesn't make sense. It's not supposed to make sense because it's not the way we were designed to work. Um, they chose it because they wanted to, and God had been pleased to permit it. Like we saw last time, permit it in a powerful, 
uh, with a powerful bounding uh, to it as part of his decree, yet not um, sinning or tempting man to sin. But he also purposed to order it to his own glory. So we'll find that though this was against God's revealed will, it would serve in the end uh, the revelation of his glory, both of his justice and of his mercy. Let me read the second paragraph. Uh, These are all pretty short paragraphs, about a sentence each. By this sin, they fell from their original righteousness and communion with God, and so became dead in sin and wholly defiled in all the parts and faculties of body and soul. So what did they, we talk about how man fell, right? Um, the fall of man. Sometimes I accidentally talk about falling into sin. Well, it's really that by their sin they fell. And of course they fell into further sin and misery. Uh, but what did they fall from? Yes. They fell from God. That's one of the things here. They fell from their communion with God. Because what happens after they sin? When God comes to the garden, what do Adam and Eve do? They hide. They flee. That communion they had with God was broken. Uh, they were under his judgment, and they were, had become his enemies. And they knew it, and they fled. They also lost or fell from their original righteousness. That is, the righteousness of their nature from which righteous actions proceeded. They were created righteous, but they lost that original righteousness when they sinned against God. And so, being cut off from God, who is the source of life, uh, they became dead. Not physically dead right away, but they became dead in sin. Uh, As Paul says, not only true of our first parents, but as we'll see everyone else, that we were dead in trespasses and sins. Um, And that involves being wholly defiled in all the parts and faculties of soul and body. What's a part or faculty of the soul or body? What, What is that referring to? So think of uh, the will, uh, the mind, the affections. You know, there's, there's different aspects we might think of man, both, you know, spiritually and physically. Thoughts, words, needs. Right. It's the, the point here is that man is holy or totally depraved. Um, there's, you know, for example, someone might say, oh, man, is, his will is fallen, but his mind is not, or something like that. Well, but no, the teaching here is man became wholly depraved, that his, he's spiritually blind to God, he, he suppresses the truth in unrighteousness, so his mind still works, but it's, it's in rebellion against God. Um, so it is defiled. His will, of course, is now desiring that which is evil, his, his thoughts, his affections, they're all twisted and depraved by uh, sin. And his body, too. Um, his body has become an instrument of unrighteousness, rather than, as it was supposed to be, an instrument of righteousness. So Paul talks about, in our sanctification, that we ought to be, uh, seek to, be, to cleanse ourselves from every defilement of spirit and flesh, you know, to look for a, just as we have totally depraved, so we want total sanctification, you know, every respect. Now, it doesn't mean that every single person is as sinful as they possibly could be, but it does mean that every aspect of us before we are saved 
uh, is defiled uh, by sin and, and directed towards sin. But that was with respect to our first parents. When they sinned, that happened to Adam and Eve. <clears throat> but then, how did that get from Adam and Eve to us, to you and me, or to all mankind? Uh, how was that conveyed uh, or, or, or brought to us? Is it just that, well, they did something bad and then their children kind of imitated them and, and we just get all sorts of bad examples and, and we decide to follow after them? That was kind of the idea of, of Pelagius, that we're just bad because we see bad examples and uh, doesn't really affect us personally. But no, Scripture teaches us that, um, that it's really all of us fell in Adam so that as they fell from their original estate, we all fell from that original estate. Let me read paragraph 3. <clears throat> they being the root of all mankind, the guilt of this sin was imputed... And the same death in sin and corrupted nature conveyed to all their posterity descending from them by ordinary generation. What does it mean to be the root of all mankind? You know how a plant grows, right? What comes from the root? Well, that's what the root draws, but the whole plant comes from the root. Yeah? They being the root of all mankind, because all mankind is descended from Adam and Eve. We all come from Adam and Eve. And it spread from that root and infected the rest of mankind. Now, the, the ca- larger catechism, well, really the catechisms note another relationship we have with Adam and Eve. First of all, there's this natural relationship that there are great, 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 great grandparents. It's where we came from. Uh, but also that God had made a covenant with Adam, not only for himself, but for all his posterity, that he was our covenant representative, in a similar way that Jesus is our covenant representative in the next covenant. So, in addition to this natural relationship, there's also, we might call it a legal relationship between Adam and everyone that he represented. And so this is going to play into how it's brought to us. The first sin's guilt is imputed to us. Now, I talked about imputing or counting in the sermon last week. What does it mean for guilt to be Imputed. Anyone want to take a stab at that? Put to their account? Yeah. Yeah, laid to their account. Um, that it's held against us. Um, now, usually we like righteousness, righteousness being held uh, to our account in a favorable way, but, but guilt can also be laid against you, uh, imputed to you. And it's because Adam represented us that that guilt is imputed to us. And then, additional to that, the corruption of his nature, that, that sinful uh, nature, that uh, impulse to do what is wrong, uh, that was conveyed to us from, from father to son. Uh, Genesis 5 talks about how he uh, fathered a son after his image, like father, like son, uh, that uh, we were born with the same fallen nature. Um, John 3, 6 says, that which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. You know, so the flesh produces after its kind. But unfortunately, that nature now is uh, depraved and twisted by sin. So David can say in Psalm 51 that in sin, in sin did my mother conceive me. Not talking about whether 
his mother was sinning when he was conceived, but rather that he has been sinful from his conception, uh, that he has been dead in sin and trespasses, but for God's grace. Can someone bring something clean out of something that is unclean? Is what Job says. No. And so uh, we are from our beginning, like our first parents, fallen from original righteousness and without God in the world. So it's both the guilt and the nature which is brought to us from our first parents. Now it's kind of parallel to what we later get in Christ, right? That there is an imputation of his righteousness to your account by faith, not on the basis of anything in you. But there's also then the impartation of righteousness from him by the new birth in the Holy Spirit. Um, This is somewhat parallel there uh, between Adam and Christ. But you'll also notice it says, all their posterity descended from them by ordinary generation. Uh, what, What does that refer to? Well, that's means that it doesn't apply to Jesus. Uh, he was not descended by the ordinary way of you know, husband and wife producing a child. He was born without a human father uh, and exempted from the conveying of this original sin. He was born with a righteous nature, like us in every respect except without sin. Let me go ahead and read then the next paragraph, number four. From this original corruption, whereby we are utterly indisposed, disabled, and made opposite to all good, and wholly inclined to all evil, do proceed all actual transgressions. All right, there's two kinds of sin that you have. Did anyone catch what those two kinds of sin are? Original and actual. Original and actual. Now, does that mean that the original is imaginary? No, no. Usually when we use the word actual, we mean like not imaginary, like in, in, in reality, you know, it, it actually happened. But that's not what it's, how it's being used here. Here, actual transgressions refers to like acts of sin, you know, where you decide, you know, I'm going to do this, and then you do it. Original sin is like referring to the fountain, the source, the, the sin from which the other sins proceed, the sinful nature. Uh, it actually, you, you could misunderstand the term and think it's referring to the first sin of Adam and Eve, but it's referring to the sin in you that is the origin of the rest of your sins, the sinful nature, or as it's said in this paragraph, the um, original corruption. So from that sinful nature proceed other sins, you know, thoughts, words, deeds uh, that you do that break God's law. So from this original corruption, whereby, and so what is that original corruption? By it, we are utterly indisposed, disabled, and made opposite to all good, and wholly inclined to all evil. So from that corruption, proceed all actual transgressions. Jesus talks about, you know, from a bad tree comes bad fruit. Uh, From uh, an evil heart come evil deeds. Uh, they, they bear bad fruit. So from the sinful nature, man wants to do what is evil and therefore does evil. Now, does that seem a little extreme to say that we are utterly indisposed, disabled, and made opposite to all good and wholly inclined to all evil? I mean, it is extreme, but it's true. <laughs> Think of what Genesis says in chapter 6 as it's describing 
the outworking of this fall in mankind. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That's, that's pretty extreme, but that's how extreme our, our problem uh, is, how much we are in need of God's grace. Isaiah 64, speaking of our unregenerate state, puts it this way. It says, We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. There is no one who calls upon your name, who rouses himself to take hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us, and have made us melt in the hand of our iniquities. No one seeks after God on his own. Even the supposedly righteous deeds that man does are like uh, filthy rags, are unclean in God's sight. Your righteous deeds, you know, like attending church or, you know, uh, helping your neighbor. Even those are done for the wrong motives, are uh, not done unto God's glory, uh, are, are twisted like with the Pharisees when they did things that seemed outwardly righteous and yet did it for the praise of man. Uh, sin corrupts all the deeds that we do. Any questions at this point? I know I didn't take questions yet, but about this original sin and how it's brought then to us from Adam and Eve. Now let me take a minute uh, to ask then, having talked about sin so much, what is sin? What is sin? Is that on your coloring pages, children, maybe? Yeah. <laughs> what is sin? Yes, yes. Any want of... Now, want here means lack. Any lack of conformity to the law of God or any transgression of the law of God. John says sin is lawlessness. You know, sin is the breaking of God's law. And that means that you didn't do what you were supposed to do or you did do what you were supposed not to do. Um, and original sin is sin because we ourselves you know, lack conformity to God's law. We, we are in rebellion against law or to his law. And we lack conformity to it. And then we go ahead and commit transgressions of it too. And so God's law is the definition of, of what is sin. It's the breaking of what God told us to do. Now, what about when we are Christians? Are we in the same state as Christians as we were before we believed? How, how is sin in the Christian different than this, or the same as the sinner before his salvation. God sees us as righteous, so we're no longer uh, under condemnation for those sins. We're, we're under his favor because of Christ's righteousness. That's right. Anything else? Are we just as willing to sin as we were before? Not supposed to be. Not supposed to be. <laughs> We are able not to sin. So it's, it's a little bit of both. It, in, in one sense, 
uh, we are freed of the dominion of sin, that it's mortified, it was crucified with Christ, that we were buried with him, we've risen to newness of life. Uh, and yes, it's pardoned as well, the sin that remains in us, but sin does still remain in us. So this original corruption is not completely gone. It's still at war within us, waging war against the new principle of the Spirit. And so sometimes we do what is right, sometimes we do what is wrong. Um, there is a mixture here. So let me read the next paragraph in, in five. Paragraph five. This corruption of nature during this life, notice it's during this life, because in the next life we're, we're free of this, but in this life does remain in those that are regenerated. And although it be through Christ pardoned and mortified, yet both itself and all the motions thereof are truly and properly sent. So, there's a, a Roman Catholic understanding, which if I understand it correct, teaches differently. They would say through baptism, original sin is wiped out. So yeah, the Christian doesn't have original sin. Now you might have what they call concupiscence, this kind of desire that tends towards sin, but they'd say that's just kind of part of the way man was made, and without God's supernatural grace, that's kind of the way man goes. But it's not actually sin until you consent to it. That's a very different understanding of the Protestant and biblical understanding, where Paul says, yes, sin Sin is at work in me. Sin is at work in my members. Sin is at war against my soul. You know, it is at war with the flesh. These sinful passions, they're passions that are sinful, uh, arise within me and uh, burst out in, in deeds of sin too. So, in Romans, for example, in chapter 7, Paul says, For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. Notice sin is being uh, compared to the, the sinful passions. You know, those sinful passions are sin. But then at the end of the chapter, this is still a problem in his life. He says, for I delight in the law of God and in my inner being. That's something that's only true of, of the regenerate. But I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. And so there's this battle between sin and righteousness within the one who has been born again. We're not we are, that those sins are pardoned, the dominion of sin is broken, and more and more it's being mortified, that means put to death, uh, but it's still present, and it's still truly and properly sin. There is a false teaching that, you know, sinful desires aren't really sinful until you consent to them. Have you ever heard something like that? Uh, but, but if it's a want of conformity to God's law, uh, it doesn't matter how conscious, conscious it is, if it's a uh, a desire for what is wrong, uh, we should try to kill it. We should 
have our whole body, all the faculties of body and soul, uh, instruments of righteousness, desiring that which is good, and put to deed those sinful passions that are at war with your soul and are seeking to corrupt you. Now, of course, it's still wrong to consent to the sinful passions. That makes it worse. So, yes, once it happens, you shouldn't be like, oh, I'm doomed. Okay, I'd have to go along with it now. No, you don't want to follow through with it any more than you need to and put to death and wage war against it. You can always make things worse. Uh, last paragraph here, number six. Every sin, both original and actual, being a transgression of the righteous law of God, and contrary thereunto, doth in its own nature bring guilt upon the sinner, whereby he is bound over to the wrath of God and the curse of the law, and so made subject to death with all miseries, spiritual, temporal, and eternal. Now we have here another, uh, an allusion to the definition of sin. Both original and actual sin is a transgression of the law of God. And so in its own nature, in, inherently in sin, it brings guilt upon the sinner. Uh, we are guilty before God. And so God is a just judge to declare us guilty. And so we're bound over to the wrath of God, uh, the curse of the law. Paul says that we are children of wrath, um, by, by nature, in fact. That... Uh, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience, those who practice such things. So both the original nature of, of sin and also its outworking, all of that is deserving of sin. We are totally doomed. We have Adam's sin imputed to us. We have our own original sin that, that causes uh, us to be guilty. And then our own outworking of that original sin that piles up sin upon sin. Uh, we are so far from earning our own righteousness um, that we continue to just dig ourselves deeper in the whole. Uh, another day older and deeper in debt, as the song puts it. And so we need someone's help to get out of the pit. We need someone's help because otherwise we're subject to misery. misery spiritual misery, spiritual death, uh, uh, temporal misery, suffering in our body and, and death and corruption, and then eternal misery, uh, the second death, uh, that of the pains of hell forever. That is what do is due the sin uh, that we commit. Now, who is it that brings help to those who are in this situation? What did God do to deliver those who are doomed to misery of all kinds, who are sinners? <laughs> he sent Christ, yes. Jesus is the one who redeems us from sin and death and from this bondage. So we dare not trust in ourselves or our own deeds or our own righteousness, but rather we trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. In Romans 8, Paul describes this, this helplessness as well as this deliverance. He says, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, because he's talking to the, the saints, to the church, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit uh, is life because 
of righteousness. And so apart from God's grace, we cannot, we do not submit to God's law or please God, but by God's grace, he gives us the Spirit, he gives us Jesus Christ, that we might be righteous before God, not judged, and that more and more we might live unto righteousness. Let's go ahead and and pray. Dear God, we thank you for your mercy toward us, that though we were sinners, Christ died for us, and that nothing can separate us from this love that you have for us in Jesus Christ. We who have believed in his name. We pray that you would continue to bring sinners out of this lost estate, to bring them out of the miry clay, to set them up on high. We pray that you would more and more kill the sin that is at work within us, that we might more and more instinctively and out of our own character do what is good and righteous and holy. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.